24-hour-a-day source of Catholic inspiration. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. And we begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Dominic Guzman, pray for us. Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, pray for us. St. Martin de Porres, whose feast day it is today. Pray for us. So what are we talking about today? Uh, historically, black Catholic churches are demanding, attempting to coerce Pope Francis to give them six black American Catholic saints immediately. <laughs> if you think that sounds like black entitlement, race essentialism, and a critical race theory being forced into the Catholic uh, Church's canonization process, uh, you, you may be correct. In the second half of the show, starting at about the 20-minute mark, our guest Jen Havens, who is the Vice President of Evangelization for the Stations of the Cross and the host of Simple Truth, he comes on to talk about his faith journey and the upcoming Men's March in Baltimore on November 15, 2021. To be part of the show, just call in at 877-757-9424. Again, that's 877-757-9424. And our producer, Sissel, will get you on. But before any of that begins, let me tell you how much I appreciate you being here. And if you don't remember anything else I said today, remember that Jesus loves you and is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters you know love is uh, the one thing in our existence that breaks through the barriers that crosses both time and space that's what love does love extends um, our life to others love is what made it possible for god who is love to send his only begotten son into the world because he loves it Love is what inspired Mary to say yes. Joseph to say yes. Love is why Jesus said yes to the cross. And during the month of November, the Catholic Church adds a special bonus to our acts of love when we pray for the souls in purgatory. From November 1st to November 8th, a plenary indulgence is granted to the souls in purgatory. If you visit a cemetery and pray for the dead there, at least audibly right so that's a preliminary indulgence that's granted to the souls in purgatory so it's, it's your love is standing to them um, anytime during the month if you visit a cemetery a partial indulgence is granted to the souls in purgatory if you visit a cemetery and, and pray for um, the dead um, or you recite the laws or vespers at the office of the dead or prayer the prayer of eternal rest so 
love is the one thing that was given to us that is not about us. And it's only good and true when we give that gift from God away. Love can no more be contained than a child in the womb is contained. Naturally, it has to come forth. It has to become life in this world. So give love away. Never try to contain it or else it dies. And in this way, you'll be more like God and most like who he created you to be. This is the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Make sure you download the Guadalupe Radio Network app on your smartphone and use it to listen to all of our programming all day long, beginning in the morning of the Catholic Drive Time Show, which begins at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time. Also, please subscribe to the Guadalupe Radio Network on all the social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, and the Twitter, where you can watch all of our content and even our exclusively online content, such as one of my favorite shows, Back to the Father, which airs every Friday at 2 p.m. It makes the thoughts of St. Thomas Aquinas relatable and fun. The show is hosted by Dave Palmer, um, who's the general manager of the Dallas-Fort Worth station on GRN. And features our own producer, Mrs. Cecil Anderson. This is David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. <clears throat> so the Black Catholic Messenger broke a story last week that the parishes of St. Francis Xavier, St. Anne, St. Winnesalus, all of which are in Baltimore, and all of which share the same pastor, and all of which are parishes under the care of the Saint, the Society of St. Joseph, the Josephites. They came together to write a letter demanding, demanding that Pope Francis fast-track the cause of canonization for the Venerable Pierre Toussaint, Venerable Henrietta, Henriette de Lau, uh, Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, Servant of God Mary Lang, whose cause for sainthood began in 2004, Servant of God Julia Greenlee, whose cause for canonization began in 2014, and Servant of God Thea Bowman, whose cause for canonization began in 2018. Despite the fact that there is not a loud cry for Santo Sabidio, that is saint now, at the time of their death, what these historically black Catholic churches are demanding of Pope Francis is that he makes them saints now and circumvent the process of gathering evidence, matriculating these holy souls from servant of God to venerable to blessed through the evidence and the confirmation of the two required miracles. They're asking for the same fast track which was given to St. Pope John II after his death. At another time, I, I think I should comment, because um, I think it may be important to talk about how fast-tracking the canonization of JP2 has caused damage to the process, which some Catholics are upset about that more time was not given to examine his life and the long-term fruits of his life, right? 
so sometimes it's is valuable and sometimes it helps to be patient with things. But such is not the case with at least three venerable souls, Toussaint, Tolton, and Delisle. Their lives have been under examination for many years. And if you listen to the show long enough, you've heard me show, open the show up with prayers to um, Venerable Father Gus Tolton, uh, Venerable Pierre Toussaint, who I have personal devotions to. And I encourage each of you to visit the cause of canonization for these souls. Um, support them with your prayers and financial contributions, and if possible, uh, because these processes are expensive. Hello to everyone who's tuning in on the live streams on Facebook and the YouTube and the Twitter. I think I told you, um, I think also I like to say this, um, in on a live stream this Thursday on St. Dominic's media YouTube channel, we'll be um, discussing this, the emotions that some black Catholics in America feel when they walk into a church and they don't see any saint who they can identify with on just a basic level of how they might uh, most importantly identify with that's their race. And I know it's a known fact that for many black Americans race or skin color is the most important thing about them. And while some people may not understand that it's important to appreciate to a degree the loneliness one might feel when they look and uh, they look around and they don't see anyone who they can identify with in that way, including saints. So I encourage you, if, if your church does not have a portrait or a statue of the Venerable P.O. Toussaint, Venerable Henriette Delau, Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, Servant of God Mary Lange, or Servant of God Julia Greenlee, please consider including them so that more, uh, more people will be asking them for prayers. And I think I told you this story before, uh, because of where I was raised at in Warren, Ohio. Rarely seen many people who look like me. Race wasn't really something that was important to me. Uh, sometime in elementary school, I had to be around fourth or fifth grade. My stepfather, Roy, he realized that I wasn't culturally black enough right, for him. So he turned me into his project. All right? He threw away my, my Fonzarelli poster I had on my wall. Uh, he threw away my Kiss albums, which I had a, a massive collection of at that time albums, the vinyl, the good stuff. And he started taking me to the hood, right? On the weekends where he grew up at. And so I could hang out with his kids, friends. And that project, the Roy is scarred me for decades. Like for the next 30 years of my life, um, I really tried to be culturally black, whatever that means. It's hard to define. I mean, I think that was the issue. Like, what does that mean? All right. And so I, I changed high schools, um, one that in town that was more black. I ended up going to a historically black university. I joined Omega Sci-Fi fraternity, which is the most, the blackest right <laughs> fraternity I think you can find. Um, I exclusively dated black women. I became a Prince Hall Freemason. That's the predominantly black Freemasons. After graduation, I only worked at black university. So as far as my black resume goes, I mean, not people, not many people can top me. 
And my wife, my friends today, I mean, we joke about who has the blackest resume. I mean, I think mine is phenomenal. You can't beat it. But I was posing the whole time. Race essentialism, that is making your race the most essential thing about you, was never really who I was. My thing had always really been just the truth. I think that was what's been most essential in my life. That was the most important thing to me. Like, what, what's true? What's true? And that's the, I think that's the big reason why I ended up becoming a Freemason in college, because I thought the Freemasons had some truth. But having tried to make race the most essential thing about my life for such a long time, I get it. I understand it. I completely understand why people who put whatever thing they, they value the most, whatever, wherever their heart is, wherever their treasure is, I understand why they put that thing first and why they identify with that thing, whether it be race or money or drugs or, or vanity, children, job, whatever. I get it. I also understand. And I want you to understand. Um, why people believe in historic grievances, historic grievances. On other shows, you might have heard me joke about it. How you have people going around acting like they're 400 years old, like they just got out of slavery yesterday, acting like um, if, if slavery has, though they were never born into it, acting like it still has some impact on their life, even though they never experienced it. You've heard me talk about how white liberals who feel guilty about things they never did and want to make amends for it. I think it's also, I think it's a sick relationship. These two people have with each other. One is grieved by history that is not their own. While another is they, they feel guilty by history that is not their own, but also it's important that we understand this concept of historic grievances, not to accept them. I mean, that would be an early stage of psychosis, but we should understand where they're coming from, right? That being said, hopefully demonstrating to you that I'm not a, a complete jerk, nor am I a person who culturally black Catholics or black Democrats who they make me out to be, right? I'm not here to just make white people comfortable, which is a silly thing to ever accuse me of, given how uncomfortable I think white liberals are around me because I'm not the stereotype of a black man. I digress. Having said that, here is where I'm at on this demand of making a saint now of these six souls. One of which, who I, I've, I've told you at a previous time, um, well, I, I don't, I can't imagine sh should be a saint, right? Because she was a black supremacist her, her entire life, Thea Bowman. And I can't imagine why any black Catholic would be cool with making a saint a person who went around talking about how being a white Catholic is being their full authentic white self, like, uh, or, or uh, a white Catholic saying, what does it mean to be a white Catholic? What it means to be my full white self or, um, to be a white Catholic means that I, I offer my, my, my white gifts to the Catholic church be, that I have gifts to offer the church just by virtue of a skin color. I mean, we would call that white supremacy. We, we would reject that notion of race essentialism. But when it comes to Thea Bowman saying it, we want to make her a saint. So it's, it's weird to me. It's hypocritical. But again, I digress. So this letter opens up with the historic grievance. It says, uh, it is embarrassing that many of us in America, that in a church where we worship, that there are no African-American saints recognized by the highest authorities in the church. 
At 899 saints, U.S. Pope, they write, you have canonized the most saints in the Catholic history, Catholic Church history. It is time, they say in this letter, that African Americans go marching in with that number. Now, by African Americans, they don't mean immigrants from Africa. You know, this again, this is part of the historic grievance language used to connect blacks today in this country with a legacy of slavery, uh, which brought the vast majority of blacks to this country from Africa. So. African-American is the historic grieving language to tie the two together. Um, it, it was made popular by Jesse Jackson. So that's what I mean by African-American, not African immigrants. So the historic grievance continues in the letter. Blacks in America have endured unearned suffering since the first enslaved persons arrived in 1619, which again, by the way, whoever wrote this letter is not no black Catholic history. Black African slaves arrived here first on slave ships from Spain to Florida um, in 1565. And many free blacks from who are Catholics also from Spain arrived in 1565. So the 1619 thing is, is a joke. It's wrong. Anyway, I quote again this letter. The six African candidates for sainthood were either born into enslavement or educated the enslaved at, at personal risk to themselves. Their lives were miracles of generosity of spirit, sacrifice and survival, many would argue. So the basis, so the heroic virtue, the heroic virtue of sainthood that they're presenting here is hardship from slavery, associated with slavery. The historic grievance continues in this letter. While African-Americans have remained faithful to the church over the centuries, enduring enslavement, racial segregation, even within the church, mass incarceration, and mass poverty, we, they say we, that's their grievance, again, they're 400 years old, they're saying we have been treated as second-class citizens. While there is no U.S. African-American saints, there are 11 who have been canonized. Then comes the race entitlement language uh, in a critical race theory, asking for standards and excuses to be made because of their race. Just as we saw with um, schools no longer requiring math work to be shown, standards lower for blacks to get um, licensed to teach, blacks being segregated from whites in schools because they have special needs. Um, Juilliard students no longer required to perform classical music because it's just too hard for blacks. It's always the same basic standard, right? So there's always just some basic standard in this country that we need to, that, that they think blacks need help to achieve. They need rules to be changed so they can achieve. Um, they, they need to have standards lowered to achieve. I don't know if they think blacks are lazy, too stupid, or too poor, you know, which the critical race theory would seem to argue. And so says the letter. It says, we know the process, but it is not working for black American Catholics or supporters. They say the process is reaping unfair, uneven results, especially when you realize that black saints have been waiting 714 years. If you total up and add all the times that's passed since each have died. At last, they ask the Pope, please treat the six African-American candidates for sainthood fairly by redefining and rectifying the process, please canonize them immediately. Then they say, if not now, when, if not who, if not you, Pro Francis, then who? 
So that's the letter. A lot of historic grievances, a lot of uh, wanting to lower standards, a lot of critical race theory there, a lot of black essentialism, race essentialism, right? You know, I don't like, and I, I comment on a letter like this, I don't like people asking for handouts uh, anywhere. I don't like people, I like when people work for things. Right, sacrifice for things. Be be patient for things. You know, it, it builds character. In the spiritual life, it teaches perseverance and prayer. The end result of that work and determination and prayer and sacrifice, it always yields a more meaning, uh, more meaningful result. And God's timing is always better than our timing. Right. So. I don't like when people feel entitled to something, especially because of their skin color or because of an experience that was not their own. None of the people who wrote this letter were ever enslaved. Some of them might not even be descendants of slaves. Most of them were, were probably never, they never even experienced racism or, or sorry, segregation. Most of them probably never experiences mass incarceration or, or poverty. And that is not the experience of most black people in this country. And it, it upsets me that how dare they write a letter to the Pope acting as if that's most black people's experience in this country. Most black Americans have never been incarcerated in poverty or, or, or experienced segregation. That's not, that's not most black story, but so I'm so tired of black Americans and black Catholics speaking for, for the majority from the experience of the minority at every opportunity. They speak a victim's narrative rather than a story of triumph. And they would rather be a victim than work hard. And it amazes me. I mean, I, I don't, it's, 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 it's so confusing to me why this is always the same story that, that blacks are always these beat down people even black Catholics are always these beat down people. And that's uh, to the spirits of that most black Catholics or black people in this country don't have. I mean, you want, you want saints, you want these souls to be saints. Well, pray for them, for the miracles, raise money to promote their miracles, build awareness of them. Come on my radio show, or my podcast. I would love to have you on. Let's talk about this. Let's make a movie. God blesses good work. And as the scriptures say, do not be weary in well-doing. God has a time when he, he wants these, these, these souls to be known to be um, canonized in heaven. He, he has a time. Or like the words of um, Kitty Callahan, a follower of mine on Facebook, she says, stop worrying about who's a saint and just seize the opportunity to be a saint. I mean, you want people to see black Catholic saints be one. You want to see you want you want people to see black Catholics, black Americans who are saints? Be one. It's not that hard. Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, pray for us. Venerable Pietro Sons, pray for us. Venerable Henriette Delisle, pray for us. Servant of God, Mary Lane, pray for us. Servant of God, Julia Greenlee, pray for us. And that's all I know about that. 
This is the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Right after the break, evangelist Jim Havens will be on the show to talk about his faith journey and about the men's march that is coming up to Baltimore on November 15th this year. Stay tuned. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave to GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. You know, this is your Catholic radio station, and we'd like to make it even better for you. Your feedback is really important to us. Just go to our website, grnonline.com, and look for the button labeled 60-second radio survey. It only takes a minute to fill out and send it to us. Again, go to our website, grnonline.com, and look for the button labeled 60-second radio survey. We'd really appreciate it. Often, we are asked, what is the difference between EWTN and the Guadalupe Radio Network? EWTN, the Eternal Word Television Network, provides at no cost to the GRN about 93% of the programming that we play on our stations. The promise of free programming was made by Mother Angelica to any radio apostolate who would buy the physical radio station. So, the radio station you are listening to in your car, in your home, on your computer, or on your smartphone is paid for and operated by the Guadalupe Radio Network. The relationship between EWTN and the GRN is a blessed one. We are the largest EWTN affiliate in the United States and so glad to be able to carry EWTN's quality programming. We are both nonprofit organizations, so we are always in need of your prayerful and financial support. This is Len Oswald with this week's GRN Family Minute. We are your Catholic radio station, radio for your soul. Welcome back in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Hey, I apologize if you're listening to it on the radio and um, I was breaking up a bit there at the end. My producer, Cecil, told me I might have been breaking up. So um, I told her I would calm down. I'm going to lower my blood pressure here in the second half of the show when I'm talking to Jim Haven. So I'm sorry I got kind of pumped up there <laughs> at the end that um, I was blowing through the microphone. But uh, if you listen to the show long enough, you know how passionate I get about, about some things. I just I just really hate excuses excuses are tools of incompetence pretended reasons for actions those who use them seldom amount to anything so anyway jim havens jim is a who is the vice president of evangelization for the stations of the cross and he is the host of simple truth he earned his bachelor of arts degree in media studies at the University of Buffalo in 2001. He earned a Master of Arts degree in theology at the Franciscan University 
where I also studied for uh, my master's degree. Didn't end up finishing there, but um, I went on to Ohio Dominican University. But I enjoyed my time there at Franciscan um, University. So Jim was there about six years before I was. So we didn't cross paths, obviously. And he earned his master of master of fine arts degree in screenwriting at Hollins University in 2004. He has more than 15 years of experience in apostolic work. Uh, with Catholic parishes, schools, and organizations, and media. And if you haven't listened to his show, um, Simple Truth, make sure you do a podcast audio. Also, you can catch it on pretty much anywhere where you catch your, your videos on YouTube and on Rumble um, and Facebook. So really great show. He has great guests on there. Jim Havens, welcome on to the David L. Gray Show. Good day. Good. It's a wonderful blessing that you are here, my friend. Welcome, welcome in. Um, how's it going? It is going well. And um, yeah, just finishing up actually the uh, the episode for today uh, for The Simple Truth and then hopping on here with you. Got to hear your opening monologue, which was great. So keep the passion going. <laughs> and uh, yeah, good good stuff. And so excited to be here with you. Yeah. You know, you're, you're much more laid back on your show than I am. And I, I admire that about you because on your show, Simple Truth, you, you, you talk about some hard subjects sometimes, especially on Fridays when you have um, father on. Um, and um, But you always, you, always, you always keep your cool. But you have what I admire about you in that show, Simple Truth, is that the show is what it's named to be. You speak about the most important things in a simple way and allows your audience to understand understand things really clearly and simply. It reminds me of um, when I became a Catholic, um, Pope Benedict was Pope. And um, this was like the height of the like child abuse scandal. Well, it's on the tail end, but it's, it's sparked back up. And I was like really struggling with, man, should I become Catholic or not? Because the whole sex abuse thing was like, that was kind of troubling to me. But I started reading Pope Benedict and he was like one of the most, he, he struck me as like one of the most brilliant people I've ever encountered in my life. As a, um, and he was like this steady ship in a calm water. He would, he would, he's able to speak about the most profound things in a simple way. So you do the same thing on your podcast. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. That's a, a high comparison, but no, I'm a, certainly a student of, uh, of Pope Emeritus Benedict the 16th and, He's been uh, a, yeah, a great influence for me and Pope John Paul II, certainly St. John Paul II has been a great influence as well. So, um, so yeah, I continue to sit at, at the feet of the great teachers um, down throughout history that we have had these great Catholic um, popes and, and teachers and saints and doctors of the church. And we're really just so blessed to have yeah. th the treasure, to be able to recognize the treasure of Jesus and his Catholic church for what it is. And to um, and to respond accordingly by um, by saying yes. So um, yeah. so yeah, that's what that's what I'm all about. I, I believe it's 100% true. I've been convicted in my life, so um, I try to share that conviction with others because it does change everything. Whether you recognize the treasure as being the treasure and say yes to it and give yourself to enter into it and to live it, um, or if you don't, so everything kind of depends on that. And we're speaking with Jim Havens, who he is the vice president of evangelization for the stations across. He's a host of Simple Truth. And and Jim, but what's your faith journey? Have you always been a Catholic? Were you born into faith or were you a heathen for a long time? Or what, what, what's, what's your faith journey? 
Yeah, unfortunately, I think probably a, a fairly common story of, um, yeah, born into a, a Catholic family, but really culturally so nominal Catholic in name only, mostly. Um, and so, yeah, not a real, not a real vibrant yes to the faith, not, not even a real clarity of what the faith was, even though, um, like my mom went through Catholic school all growing up. Still, I, I remember in a big moment for me in my early 20s, when, um, when I heard a priest preach for the first time, and this was the one of the big moments for me. So yeah, I had gone down the wrong road um, before this time. My parents had gotten divorced and when I was in high school and uh, really went the way of the world, re really was believing the lies that I was seeing in the popular media. And then, um, you know, kind of thinking that was what life was all about. And so oh I was God. down the wrong road in habitual mortal sin. But when I went to this mass, because it was my grandparents 50th wedding anniversary and they were having a mass for it. And I went in, I think I, I probably had shorts on, like I was walking. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and so, so were probably a lot of people, they, they yeah. were probably not looking their best walking into that mass, but the priest, he must've, he, he must've um, noticed us coming in and he must've had this choice before him. Do I just give my regular anniversary wedding homily or uh, do I give him something more? Well, well, he chose to proclaim the truth on that day about the Catholic faith and about specifically the Holy Eucharist and the disposition that we are called to be in, to receive the Holy Eucharist, to be in that state of sanctifying grace, to go to confession um, if we are in mortal sin and do not receive the Eucharist if we're in mortal sin. So when I heard him proclaim that that, that day, it, it struck me as making sense. I was like, look, I don't really believe this. So why am I going to pretend I believe this and go forward and be part of this part of this? So it, it made sense to me in the sense of saying, I'm going to at least respect this enough okay. to, to not go forward and pretend it. And then on the way home afterwards, on the way to the party is when my when I asked my mom and I said, you know, is that real that he was saying that we're really supposed to believe that that's actually Jesus? And she kind of said, well, uh, yeah, I, I, maybe, I, yeah, I, I guess. And, and she had gone all through Catholic school and she, that was like the first time she was really hearing that um, with some clarity. So, um, yeah. so that was a big seed planted. Wow. And I, I really didn't know that there, there were a number, vast number of Catholics who didn't believe that. I was, I was so wet behind the ears when I became a Catholic. This had to be like 2000, maybe 11 or something like that. Because uh, I converted 2006. And I had to get an annulment after my wife decided to divorce me. So I was turned out of the priesthood and all that stuff. So it was about 2011. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, think, okay, I'm not called a priestess. So maybe I date. So I'm seeing this girl thinking about maybe I, maybe she, but maybe something I might make someone I may want to date. And so she was a cradle Catholic and she had told me somehow it came up. And, and so that same conversation, I'm telling her about, oh, yeah, yeah, and I became, you know, the Catholic, Holy Eucharist is, you know, why, you know, why I have to remain Catholic, you know, we're talking about that. And so, and it turned out that she did not know what the Catholic Church taught about, about that. And so I stopped, yeah, I'm not going to date this woman. And I kind of, I feel bad because I kind of ghosted her, you know, ghosting is when. Uh, <laughs> someone calls you and you don't return the calls. You just let her go to voicemail. You just got to disappear. And so I felt bad about it, but I was so amazed. Like, wow, this, how can she not believe that? I'm not, I don't have one to have, I don't want to have anything to do with this girl. And so, but so I didn't know that apparently 
maybe around 73% of Catholics or whatever you believe some polls don't know that hadn't really heard it. Um, maybe don't believe it, but you saying that you had never really heard it articulated like that. And it made a deep impact on your life. Um, but how did it, was that the spark that kind of led you to look deeper into what the church is going to, what the church is teaching all, all together? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was in a bad place, but it, it was a, a, at least a point where it struck at least a sense of integrity within me. Mm-hmm. I think I always had a strong sense of, uh, of justice in the sense that, um, you know, I, I don't know, it, it just made sense to me that why would I pretend I believe in this thing that I don't believe in? I'm not going to be a part of this charade. I'm at least going to have that much integrity um, on that day. So, um, but yeah, that, that started me thinking and, and searching. And, um, you know, I had a, a powerful experience in prayer that took place. But then that led me to, yeah, a couple of years later, where then I was actually ready to enter into confession for the first time. So I went and uh, went to confession and laid it all out and said to the priest, look, I don't really know you know, how to, how to go about this, help me. And he helped me and guided me through it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't willfully withhold anything. I laid it all out and walking out of that confessional, God gave me the grace to experience the freedom of my sins being forgiven. So I had this sensible, deep feeling of the freedom that was extraordinary. And then it was at, at a shrine, Our Lady of Fatima shrine in Lewiston, New York, where they have confession 15 minutes before every mass, which is really wise for a whole lot of people that are in habitual mortal sin that need to go to confession before they receive the Eucharist. So for me, mass was just starting up, didn't have time to uh, to, to fall into a, a mortal sin again. I, I entered into the mass, went and received the Holy Eucharist in the state of grace. And again, again, God gave me the grace to experience a, a real deep, sensible experience of him in the Holy Eucharist, where at that point, I'm kneeling down after having received communion, and I am convicted to my soul, I I can't believe it, this is all real. And and I knew it at that point, this is all real. And then pretty quickly, I started to get a a bit fearful, because I'm thinking I'm so far from living this kind of like Peter, um, before the Lord, you know, depart from me. You know, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. Um, but realizing, okay, no, I, I'm going to, even though I may never really be able to live what the Catholic Church is, is teaching because I'm, I'm so far gone in certain areas, um, I'm going to strive to live it. And when I fall, I'm going to do what I know, which is go to confession and hand it over and then go receive the Eucharist in a state of grace. And it was knowing that truth that really led me to then um, be able to, to experience what I would never have thought possible, which was a real freedom from those habitual mortal sins that I was in. And, and then, um, you know, to the point where now some of those areas, like areas of um, sexual integrity, areas of temperance, um, those are now areas in my life where I would say are areas of greatest strength. Um, so that is not me pulling myself up by my bootstraps, right? Mm-hmm. That is because it is real. And so I know that whenever doubts come, whenever desolation's there, you know, in the in the deepest, darkest times, I can always think back, well, I know this is real because there's no way that I would have been able to make those changes in my life that the Lord was able to bring forth in me. So, um, so yeah, praise God. Yeah, yeah, praise God. 
And John Boy, he he chimed in on the YouTube channel. He said, God bless that priest. I guess he's speaking about the first priest that convicted you, yeah. his words convicted you. And and Katie Yee, she says, um, she says, Hey Jim, love you. Everyone was a prodigal son at one point or another. And and I think and there's a story in, in John that talks about at some point in time, Jesus, the Jews were gonna they're they're trying to stone Jesus. So, um, and then what happened was Jesus, the text says, Jesus went back to the Jordan river and the text says where it all began and all the people who followed him there, maybe some with still stones in her hand, uh, follow him there. They, the text says they remembered that everything that John the Baptist has spoke about this man was true, but Jesus had to go. So, and I relate that to the point that you said about your reconversion experience. And there's some, at some point in time, when we get lost or things seem confusing or we get lost in a minutia or we fall down, it's always important to go back to where it began, right? So we can sort of recapture and remember and, and see that spark again and say, and, and say yes again to that conversion experience. And so I really love that about your, your, your story. That's really powerful. And we're speaking with Jim Havens, who is the vice president of evangelization for the Stations of the Cross. And he's the host of Simple Truth, which you can hear everywhere. And Jim, you broadcast that every day at, I believe, what time is it every day? Yep. Every Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, so that would be 3 p.m. Central. 3 p.m. Central. Yeah. And where can people tune in at? They can go to the mobile app, which is iCatholic Radio, and they can listen live from there. If they want to see the video broadcast, they can go to the Station of the Cross page on Rumble, or they can go to my page, Jim Havens, uh, I guess my channel on YouTube. Um, so if they just search my name, Jim Havens on YouTube, they can find it there. It live streams uh, most days. It live streams from there. Today, actually, we did not live stream from our YouTube page because we had John Henry Weston on from LifeSite News, and we were talking about the COVID jab, and we didn't think <laughs> the YouTube censors would look too kindly upon that. So uh, right, we decided not right. to live stream from there today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's self-censoring that we do to make sure we keep proclaiming the truth without <laughs> incurring the wrath of the overseers. What um, I, I also found out sometimes in a lot of people's conversion stories that they have a story about who they were prior to their conversion or reversion that somehow impacted who they became or the ministry that they're involved in or involved with uh, when they come back to the faith or when they have, when they come into the faith. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, I could point to two things. I think, you know, my involvement in Freemasonry, obviously, I didn't know I was going to be a Catholic talking so much about that. It ended up being the case. And also the, experiences I had with uh, abortion, both having uh, my children aborted, also being just a bad guy and, and paying for abortions. And I found that I became very passionate once I discovered the, the truth of the faith about what the church teaches about life. Um, it, you know, I feel, I felt a sense of, I always feel reparations. Like I have a reparations to make in that sense, not that God hasn't forgiven me, but I just think there's, there's work to do because of what I'd done. Right. And so what, when you look back on your life prior to being, uh, coming back to the faith, or did you, do you see that 
who you were in that period outside of faith now and uh, being a part of the work that you're doing as a, an evangelist? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I guess overall, I would say just within the um, w- within the category of truth and lies, the fact that, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a world that was telling me so many lies and I didn't have anybody that was really speaking the truth into my life or, or any witnesses that I saw living the truth. Mm. So to me, it's like, look, we, we grew up in this world. And if we don't have somebody like that, it's meant to be our parents. They're meant to be um, faithful Catholics who the truth has been well handed on to them. And they are saying yes, and they're guiding us in their words and in their witness. But very few actually have that kind of an experience. Most of us we grew up into a world where our parents are are quite lost. It wasn't handed on well to them. They, they're they're still confused trying to figure out what's going on. And so we're born into that. So without that guide, um, we're we're kind of lost, right? And so yeah. um, and so coming to understand what is true, coming to understand that Jesus is real, coming to understand the church He died to give us. And, and for me, a big moment was reading the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And when I read it, I turned right to the pages on sexuality, human sexuality, because I knew from my own personal experience, there was something wrong with what the world was saying about human sexuality. And when I went to the catechism and I read it, and I read those words, what it said, it was like I knew those words in in my soul, like they were engraved within me. And I always knew that this was true. I just never had the words to say it before. And then, um, you know, many experiences like that with the catechism, we're questioning, why is it this way? Why is it that way? Go right to the catechism, look it up, (laughs) find out what it says. And it's like, that makes so much sense. And, and it resonates. And, and even if it didn't, I'm going to say yes to it, because Mm -hmm. I believe in Jesus and the church he instituted for us teaching us authoritatively on faith and morals. So I'm going to say yes, whether I understand or not, but I'm going to seek to understand it more. And if, if we live with that sort of humility to say, this is the truth, I need to um, orient myself to it rather than say, this is what I believe. And I'm going to orient everything to what I believe. No, no, we've got to be humble, grateful for the treasure, and then faithful in, in really responding and living it out as faithfully as we can. And certainly, um, you know, we have confession and we, and we have um, the, the, the Holy Eucharist to be able to help us and, and the Holy Rosary and so many treasures in our mm-hmm. faith to be able to be close to our Lord day in and day out and, uh, and to keep going forward. So, um, so that's what it's all about for me is to um, stay close to the truth, try to live the truth with everything I've got and, and hopefully hand it on well mm-hmm. to my children that they would hopefully hand it on well to their children. And by God's grace, we would have a family line that would be redeemed by, by Jesus. So that that's Amen. my great hope. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And we're speaking with Jim Havens, who is the vice president of evangelization for the stations across and a host of simple truth. And the catechism, I think played that role also with me. Well, I went into the catechism of Catholic church, Jim, um, hoping to tr- prove the Catholic church wrong. Cause I had, come to realize that, okay, the Catholic church is, we could say it's historically the church established by Christ uh, through his apostles. You know, I, I couldn't argue that anymore, but theologically, no, I'm sure that's not the case. So I went into the, the catechism looking to, to prove the Catholic church wrong and um, I got proved wrong. So <laughs> that's how that happened. So yeah, I love the catechism. And, but after you, 
came back into the faith. And so you have this deep love and passion for the truth of what the Catholic Church is teaching. Did you find yourself being overbearing at times and being overly excited and trying to force the issue? Or how, how did that work out with your, your rediscovery out of, out of faith? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think at the time, I probably would have looking back in, in, in the short term, I probably would have said yes. But looking back in the, in the long term, I think I probably wasn't um, maybe forceful enough. I don't think maybe forceful is the word, but, okay. but zealous enough in, in sharing the faith. Mm. I certainly did try to share this treasure that I had found um, with the friends that I had been with for many years through high school and then early college years. Yeah. Um, they weren't having it. So they rejected it and rejected me pretty quickly. They, and it was basically like, Hey, come still hang out with us, come to the bar with us, come out yeah. with us. And it was like, look, I, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Right. I, yeah. I can't just be in that environment and be journeying with you. No, I'm going to mm. fall if I go in that environment. And so I tried those things and that didn't really work out too well. So I realized that, look, if they were serious about a friendship, then, mm. um, then they would have to hang out with me in different environments and, and, things would have to change there. And that wasn't really happening. So sadly, um, you know, I still pray for all of those friends that I had, but not one of them was willing to come along with me. Um, mm. And and then also, yeah, talking with family members and things like that, um, you, you, you try, but we have to realize that, um, yes, we are called to share, share the love of Christ, share the treasure that we have found. But the reality is that, um, you know, but for the grace of God, go, I, I, I would be in the same place as them if certain things didn't convict me or if I didn't have the opportunity to say yes yeah. in different ways that I had. So I, I basically can be like that priest was for me, planting a seed for them in, in yeah. different ways. But then it's up to them at some point to grapple with that and say yes. But the, but the thing is, is that usually we're so attached to our sins yeah. and so attached to the error that we prefer that to Jesus. And, and that's a hard reality to come to grips with. Um, but that's the one we have to come to grips with because we have to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Jesus. And, and if it means putting aside this lifestyle that has become a habit that I don't think I can live without, these things are sins, even though I don't think they are, uh, I got to hand it all over and say yes to Jesus. And if they do, the thing that you find is then you experience. So if we say yes in faith, then we enter into it. Then I think pretty quickly, at least this was true for me, you're going to have an experience of the reality of the objective truth of it. So, yeah. so then, you know, then you're convicted of your bones once you experience that reality. But the only way to experience that reality is to say yes by faith to be able to enter into it to begin with. So we can be good ambassadors and we've got to keep trying to do that. Yeah. Um, but we have to know, yeah, we're going to be rejected. The truth is going to be rejected. And, um, and we just got to keep doing, um, you know, the best we can. Don't, don't, don't let the fire uh, go down because you're getting rejected. Turn back to the Lord, turn yeah. back to the prayer, let him fire us back up and, and go out once more. Yeah. And yeah, don't be weary and well doing. And but I like the fact that, um, you made that metanoia and at least with your friends, if they did not at that moment, hear what you were saying, you still persist as a sign of contradiction, right? Cause they knew who you were heretofore and they see who you are now. And so, and you're quite different than what 
people see in the world, the type of life you're living. So you're a sign of contradiction. But also I think a sign of contradiction <clears throat> in the world today is this idea of, um, you know, we're trying to save lives by having people um, receive something into their arm. Uh, let's save lives, right? Um, or let's save the planet. Um, but we want to kill people who, who the planet was for in a womb. Um, or let's, let's mandate that people save their lives by taking a vaccine yet. Let's kill babies in a womb. Is this, this it's just words of, of lies and, and contradiction that we see in the world today. And I love that the work you're doing concerning saving the baby's lives, but how important. So when we see a lot of these, we see a lot of women naturally in a in pro-life movement, but the work you're involved with of getting men organized and coordinated to defend life, I think is so essential, right? For men who are post-abortive or, or men who have used women for sex or fathers. And it's so important for people to see men involved in the, in the pro-life movement, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Not that I know of is, is abortion part of my story in, in the sense of my personal testimony. I don't know that any, um, you know, that any woman that I've ever, you know, been around has, has had an abortion because of me, if you know, you can read through the lines on that. But I do know that I was um, committing sexual sin, fornication um, at, at times, and that um, it's very—it's possible that things could happen that I'm not aware of. Plus, women being on the birth control pill, um, the fact is, is that early abortions can occur in that state. So I, I don't know if it's part of my story. I don't—not that I know of, but. Um, but I do know that we all have a responsibility, whether it's part of our story or not, in solidarity with one another. Look, it, it could be it could be us, right? It's it's just that they're smaller, and um, you know they're being they're they're being snuffed out without a voice in the wombs of their mothers. Um, that was legal when I was in the womb of my mother. I, I was born in '77, so that could have happened for me. Well, who who was fighting for me? Right. Mm -hmm. And so who's fighting for them now and those that are to come? Look, we, we have to just simply stand by a very simple truth, which is that every innocent human being has a right to life. Every innocent human being has an inherent right to life. It's that simple. And if we don't fight for that to be upheld, when right now babies are being murdered in the wombs of their mothers worldwide, 200,000 every day, that's from the medical journal, The Lancet, and at least about a 9-11 every day in our own country, the US, about 3,000 every day, it's alarming. And if it were just a couple, if it was just one, that would be too many. But what is going on is the ongoing um, mass murder of the preborn every single day. We have to look the truth in the eye on this. Pope John Paul II said that very well in Evangelium Vitae. And then we have to take responsibility and say, this is going on on our watch in our backyard. Men, we are called to be defenders. We are called to be leaders when this is going on. And by the way, these pregnant moms in need are being exploited for profit by this lie of abortion. This is not okay with us. We have to stand up. And so the men's march is one opportunity because once you get convicted on this, it's like, okay, well, what do I do? Well, here's one opportunity, the Men's March, uh, National Men's March to End Abortion. We did one back in June, um, brought it to the, the steps of Joe Biden at the White House in D.C. About 300 men gathered after only about four weeks of calling for it. Um, this one is November 15th in Baltimore, the first day of the USCCB's Fall General Assembly. And we're going to be marching from the local 
um, abortion center there, the Planned Parenthood, about a mile and a half away, okay. down to where the bishops are meeting. And uh, three bishops so far have said they're going to join us for the rosary at 1230. We sent a letter nice. to every single bishop inviting us, to, inviting them to come join us in repentance, taking responsibility and uh, making a new commitment to do more to end abortion. And so men, we need you on this, whatever you can do to get there, the mensmarch.com. I heard David say earlier, no excuses. All right. So if there's any possible <laughs> way you can get there, come and be there with us, especially when all this nonsense is going on about um, Canon 915 not being enforced and these pro-abortion politicians that um, are, are, being, uh, are being allowed to receive Holy Communion. What is this? This is nonsense, right? So we need to also send the message to our bishops when they're talking about this to enforce Canon 915. That's another message that we want to send. Again, all the information is up there at themensmarch.com. That's mensmarch.com. Um, and um, Jim Havens here, he is a, he's a, one of the, the um, coordinators, right? You're one of the people in, in charge of getting people there and coordinated and arranging speakers. So it's going to be a phenomenal event. Again, in Baltimore, November 15th, use your airline points or however you can get there. And um, I know you can contact Jim as well. If you need someone that maybe has a room that you can, they, maybe they're looking for a roommate. So make sure you get there. If you can, men need to rally and organize and coordinate. So Jim, thanks for coming on. And we hope to have you back on here again on the David Ariel Gray show. Great blessing to be with you, David. Keep up all the great work. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in. And I'll be back same time next week. Same place. And I look forward to conversing with you again. In between time, visit me online at davidlgray.info. And until then, until next time, remember, Jesus loves you and is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters. And may the abundance of our Lord's blessings and graces and favors fall upon you and yours. Thank you. <laughs>